This is Inspire to Impact. I'm your host, James Campbell. Inspire to Impact, where we have real conversations with real educators. Today, I'm happy to have with us Ms. Kay Solomon. We'll hear her story in just a few moments. This is Inspired to Impact. I'm your host, James Campbell. Today we have with us Ms. Kay Solomon. How are you doing, Kay? I'm doing quite well. How are you, James? Doing wonderful. I want to start by saying thank you for sparing some of your time. I know the nature of education. You're busy, busy, so I appreciate this time that we have together. I'm looking forward to it. Would you mind just telling us, you know, once again, who you are, what you do, and where you do it? Okay, so I'm Kay Solomon. I am a teacher at the Westminster Schools. Um, in the Department of Biblical and Religious Studies. I've been here now. This is my 19th year, um, and I currently chair the department as well as teach. I teach three classes. I teach Old Testament for ninth graders, New Testament for 10th graders, and I teach a social ethics elective as well for 11th and 12th graders. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'd like to start off every conversation with a simple question. And that question is simply, how did you, what's your path to education? How did you become an educator? Oh, so interesting because when I was in high school, you could have never told me that I would be a teacher ever. Mm-hmm. And you would have never been able to tell me that I would be teaching Bible okay. at all. That would have never been a thing. Um, so I started out in corporate. Um, I worked for IBM after I graduated from college, Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where I'm from. Okay. And um, I took an educational leave of absence to do an MBA in the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Um, And uh, continued on in corporate, uh, worked in marketing and sales Mm -hmm. um, in the 90s. And... um, I started teaching at a church here in Atlanta um, after, you know, some bad experiences. Sometimes you end up in church. And okay. so I loved teaching. I did a large, um, a large part of my job uh, working for Johnson & Johnson was teaching. I taught residents how to tie suture um, and did a lot of in-services and things like that. And I just loved that kind of work. I loved um, talking to people in groups. Okay. Um, I had been doing that since I was in sixth grade. Okay. Um, so I did my sixth grade graduation speech. <laughs> um, and that was a lot of fun. I did um, some pre-college workshops with the En-ROADS organization up mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's an organization for minority youth. Okay. Um, and they do internships in business, in computer science, engineering. Um, it may have expanded a little bit back then. Um, uh-huh. From from back then, but I did a lot of that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved teaching, okay. but I didn't know that it was teaching. It was just something that I just love to do, just show people products and just have a good time at just talking with people. Um, but I hated sales. Okay. Okay, so, but that was a big part of my job. Um, and so it was in the late 90s where I sort of sensed sort of a shift in what I was doing. And I ended up in seminary. Okay. So I ended up at the Candler School of Theology at Emory. I had lived here for a number of years already. Um, Ended up there, and I absolutely loved it. And I thought I was going to do a Ph.D. Mm -hmm. in New Testament studies. That was what my plan was. Um, And just enjoy teaching Bible study Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, So I thought I was going to do a Ph.D. in New Testament studies and teach on the university level. 
Okay. So. But that didn't happen. So it was in 2000. That was the year I was graduating. I was graduating in May 2000. Um, that final semester, I met my husband one day in February. Um, and I was on my way to doing a retreat for a program at Emory. It's called Youth Theological Initiative. And I was going to be a mentor for that, but not quite sure what I was going to be doing because I wasn't going the Ph.D. route. Okay. Um, and I had always had a job, but I, I said, well, I'm not supposed to be going back into marketing and sales. I know that. And this was a couple of months before I was graduating, so I had, like, no clue as to what I was doing. Um, none. Okay. And so I went to this retreat, and somebody said something about teaching Bible in a high school. And I said, well, who does that? And I was um, um, got a contact here okay. as well as at Love It. Okay. And this was when email was a thing. So <laughs> this was in 2000. So I emailed uh, the person who worked here. I also emailed the person who worked at Love It, and I... And it just so happens I got in touch with the person here. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what is it that you do? You know, teaching Bible in a high school, that's kind of an interesting sort of thing. Because I knew I was supposed to be teaching. I just didn't know teaching what. And this happened in February, March of 2000. I was graduating in May. Okay. Okay. So um, I met with the person who taught here. And we set up an interview with the department chair at the time. And so I interviewed with him. This happened, all of this happened over a period of about a month. Okay. Okay, so once I got the interview, interviewed with that person, then I interviewed with the head of, this, um, um, of the upper school, they called it high school back then, um, the head of the upper school, the head of the middle school, mm -hmm. and then I interviewed with the president. And then I graduated. Okay. Okay, so. What am I supposed to be doing right now? <laughs> and so, okay. And then a couple of days after I graduated, I got a phone call from the president of the school. Mm -hmm. Said, we'd like for you to teach here. We don't have any positions available, but we'd like for you to teach part full time. Okay. And so that's how I ended up here. And so they created a position or is that... It's sort of. Mm -hmm. um, I think they were anticipating the, um, the person who I was in contact with. Um, he was going to be leaving the next year. Okay. So I co-taught a couple of classes, and then I had a couple of classes on my own, and that's and I've been here ever since. Okay. So you teach biblical studies, yes. you know, Old Testament, New Testament. Right. How do you make the Bible relevant to teenagers mm -hmm. in this current world that we live right, in? How right, right, right. It's, it's interesting because what we do here is an academic study okay. of biblical studies. So it's not like Sunday school. So we're taking a look at historical context. Mm -hmm. So for Old Testament, we're looking at the ancient Near East and looking at how the texts came about, how they were influenced by other texts in the ancient Near East. So we look at all of that. Mm -hmm. we're not, so we're not taking a, an approach where you know, you're memorizing Bible you know, verses and things right. like that because there are so many other places where it intersects. Right. Right. And so that's one way that we do it, because there are some kids who love history, there are some kids who love literature, and so sometimes there's a point of contact there. Right. What I tend to do in my classes is I like to do a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that I don't go over a whole bunch of texts. I like to sort of hone in on mm -hmm. 
fewer so that we can sort of dig deep down into it. Okay. And so the way um, I do it is we'll go over our historical context and all that. And, of course, students just love that kind of dry stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I try to do is maybe bring in some art. Okay. Right? And so people love to just observe art. That's a relatively easy thing to do, even though I don't have that kind of background. Okay. But what I love to see is students will see things that I don't see. And so to be able to acknowledge that is an absolutely wonderful observation and acknowledge them for making that Mm -hmm. is really important to me. So if I can call a student out by name and talk to them about the importance of their contribution, that's something that I think is really important to do to for them to see that wow I can be a scholar too that I can input you know have some input into this thing that is relatively foreign mm-hmm. I mean when you think about it while you're looking at literature you're looking at literature that is that was uh, produced in a way different time and space than we can ever imagine right. and it's really hard for students to come out of the 21st century mm-hmm. even the 20th century you're talking about you know adults right? right to come out of this space and to enter into a space where you're talking about a people that believed that the gods like made everything go round right, right right or that when you look up in the sky wow that looks like a dome all can completely see how an ancient people would think that there were gates in the sky that lets mm. out the precipitation. So for them to be able to see that, well, let's go outside on a clear day and look outside and just like turn around right. and see that it looks like a dome. So it's it's sort of like trying to find those entryways. Mm-hmm. And it's different all the time. Okay. So I can't say that something will work one semester and work the same way the next right. semester. So I have to sort of try to try to um, gauge that. The other way that I do it is through discussion. So whether it's through a Socratic seminar or there's another uh, protocol that a teacher here developed called REAL, mm-hmm. um, where students determine, sometimes they determine, what questions they want to ask in a particular discussion um, based on what a particular topic. Right. If they can generate the questions, then that's their end. Gotcha, right? right. And so, but it, even if I develop the questions, they have to find the, um, the textual evidence and that sort of thing, and then they have to be able to talk about it mm-hmm. and talk about it in a convincing way. Um, sometimes that can be an end, too, especially when they get questions about, well, why are we doing this, or what, are, you know, what do you think about it? Mm. So, when I can, so when I can spend less time in front lecturing... Right. Uh-huh. And more time listening to them talk and slowing down and not saying, okay, we have to get through this material, we have to get through this material, we have to get through this material for right. the sake of getting through it. I think that those are some ways to help kids see the relevance for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to teach in a way that excludes people because what students are always nervous about when they come into my classroom, and it's even more so now because we have a more religiously diverse student population, mm-hmm. what is really important for my students to know is that everybody has a voice no matter what their religious tradition is, mm-hmm. and I want to hear what that is. So that's why I try to make it as neutral as possible by bringing in that historical context. Right. That is really, really important for them to see that this is a text that, for example, you know, the ancient Israelites weren't monotheists. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? 
Like, no, look at this text. Look at what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. That's not God saying there's only one. Uh-huh. That's saying that they believed this back, you know, back in the day that there were other gods that exist. And it's just like, whoa, really? And mm-hmm. so when they are when they have the opportunity to look at the text really closely, anybody can do that, right. no matter what your religious tradition. And so sometimes you have to be willing, and I have to and I have to make a safe space for this for kids, especially students who are Christian in, in particular, for them to be able to see, oh, that text doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say what I thought, and then to help them walk through a space that says. But that's okay. That doesn't have anything to do with your faith. That's just reading the text and seeing there's more here than what you originally thought, possibly. Right. You know, I get that a lot in New Testament when I teach the New Testament and teaching these texts. You know, we were just talking about the prodigal son, for example, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, we just, and, and they're like, well, the, the young man sinned. And I said, well, where is that in the text? And being able to read through it and read through it and read through it and say, oh, oh. And for everybody to be in that space and then being able to discuss it, that doesn't have anything to do with religious tradition. Right. That has to do with the interpretation of texts. And so what I'm trying to teach is you got to read closely. Because mm-hmm. if you don't read closely, and that's a skill. Because right. our, our kids, just they just want to get it done. Right. They just want to get it done. They just want to get the assignment done. And they want to, and and what and what some kids have a tendency to fall back on, is what they think that they know, their prior knowledge. Mm. But sometimes their prior knowledge misses stuff. Right. And I'm, and and so what I want them to try to do is to read closely, learn how to annotate, mm-hmm. learn how to take notes, and then from there analyze what's there. And then from there saying, okay, then what does that have anything to do with us? Does it have anything to do with us? Mm-hmm. When you look at the Gospel of Mark, that was a, a gospel that was written to people who were suffering. Uh-huh. They were being persecuted for their faith. And so what does that mean for us? Right. Or here's a gospel. The Gospel of Luke is written to, written to a community that was struggling with, um, okay, well, who are the people of God? Well, God, Jesus saves everyone. Mm-hmm. whether they're women, poor people, disenfranchised in some way, and that's what he specifically targets. Right. And so what does that mean for us? You know, he is talking about, all of the scripture is talking about taking care of the poor, uh-huh. taking care of orphans, widows, and foreigners. What does that mean for us? If we say that we're this people and we use this text, right. what does that mean for us? And are we? Mm. And so that's, one of, that's what I like to try to help students to see is that there's way more in the text than you originally thought Mm -hmm. and it can just help to just broaden your perspective on faith on people that we might see as other Mm -hmm. on this a theme of insider and outsider which I like to um, um, interject because that's what we're talking about we're talking about who's an insider and who's an outsider and who gets to judge Mm-hmm. So that's so when I when I introduce those kinds of topics, I like to think that I'm 
allowing everybody to be a part of the conversation gotcha. so that they can you know see their way in so that they can possibly see themselves in the text so let me ask you this then so it sounds like you truly value student voice and oh, giving okay. them an opportunity to express themselves and have their entry point mm-hmm. when do you know to inject yourself or is there a story that you can share when you've had to inject yourself into the conversation because it was going mm. off the rails or it just wasn't hitting the mark. Yeah, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, because I like what I try not to do is impose myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the other day, um, we were talking about the synagogue shootings, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And it was tough, you know, the kids like to talk, but it's hard, what I learned, mm-hmm. is that students don't, they want to talk about it, but they don't because they don't want to be pounced on. So if they have a particular perspective, they don't want to even share it just because the environment is so toxic. And so they started talking about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because they don't like the disagreement. They're really uncomfortable with that. Um, and and so what I said, so I did share with them what my political perspective was. Okay. I did do that. What I often, and I, and I think that that's important, what I often like to say to my students is, I don't want you, number one, to say that you're colorblind because you're not. You need to make sure that you see me right. as a black woman because... I bring, that's an experience that is very rich and that I can, you know, that I bring to Mm -hmm. um, who I am as a person and as a teacher. I said, but I'm also a liberal. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that I believe. And so I should be able to say these things to someone who doesn't have my point of view Mm -hmm. and we'd be able to have a conversation no matter what. Right. Um, And they looked at me like, wow, when does that happen? Right. And, and so let me, th- so when did it happen for you? When did so it, yeah, when did, I think that, um, I, I think, and I'm not saying this to be like high mm-hmm. on myself at all. I think I do a pretty good job of diffusing mm-hmm. when things get out of control before they get out of control. Mm-hmm. So I can't really even think of a time where that's happened, quite honestly. Okay. Because when it when I when I sense that things are starting to veer, or when I sense that when I hear like disrespectful things, I sort of try to stop that. Okay. And nip that in the bud. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's so much what I try to stress in my class in terms of respect. Mm-hmm. Because, quite frankly, I give looks. Mm. So I give looks, and the looks are like, okay, we need to stop. Miss Solomon's giving the look. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's so. Sometimes it's just that. I just I can't think of a time when that's happened. Probably because of this. Okay, so a few weeks ago, um, my New Testament class, they were doing discussion. I was having two discussions at the same time. So I had a group over here and a group over here, mm-hmm. and I was just observing it. It's a protocol that we use. Okay. It doesn't have to be two at a time, but we just didn't have the time for me to separate them. And over here, there's a young man who sits over here 
who um, his thinking is very creative, um, and he and sometimes out of the box, but not in a you know not in a ridiculous way. And um, he's whatever the question was, he's like, I'm putting God on notice, mm. you know. And but he did it in a way that wasn't. He had all of his evidence. Okay. So he wasn't just flying off the handle. And I think that that helps, is that when you teach kids that you just can't say anything and not have anything to justify it, I think that that helps. And so in these kinds of conversations that they're having, they have their notes in front of them, and he had his, and he had his reasons for why he was thinking it. But he did it in a way Mm -hmm. that he was passionate about it, but it wasn't disrespectful, and everybody else listened, because that's the protocol. Right. That's the skill. That's one of the skills that they're learning is listening. Right. So they have to, so while they may disagree, they'll say, yeah, John, I disagree with that because, well, and here is, you know, what I believe. And so it's part of the skill that they're learning. Right. That a statement that like that, that could have been charged in a conversation mm-hmm. wasn't mm-hmm. because of the skills that they're learning. Right. So I just let him go. Okay. I just, you know, I, I heard I heard a statement and I looked and I was like, okay, where is this going? <laughs> and I watched him, and his his you know his peers were like, okay, okay, I disagree with you, but okay, okay, and and it went fine. Okay. Yeah. So, for those who might struggle with students having a voice in the classroom, yeah. what would you say is the benefit for you as the educator? Uh-huh but also the class as a whole to allow student voices to be heard in a constructive manner. Yeah. So the benefit to me, mm-hmm. completely selfish, is I learn a lot. Oh, my gosh. I, so I always, and I start out my semester, because mine is a semester class. Mm-hmm. And I start out my class, and as we're you know doing syllabus stuff, and I try not to do too much of that, but every once in a while, you, you, know, you have to do that. And I tell my students up front, I said, Class participation is a thing. It's important. Mm -hmm. I said, but I mean that because while I have a master's degree in this stuff, I by no means know everything. Mm. Every year since I've been teaching here, every single year, my students say stuff that just makes my head go. Mm. And as soon as they say it, and it happens very fairly quickly because I give I'm. I give them the opportunity to do that. So when they have a reading, I'll have them reflect on it. You know, we'll do a three-to-one or a think-pair-share or whatever so mm-hmm. that they can get their thoughts out. And when they're sharing it and they say it, uh-huh. I'm like, what? <laughs> and sometimes I'll write it on the board. I'll write whatever the quote was on the board, and I'll put their first name up there. And them seeing their name up there, it's like, whoa, your name is on the board. And so with that, I think just, just I think just the, having those authentic experiences and for students to see that I mean what I say when I say it um, helps because then they are, they're, they're saying more. And they're not just saying stuff just to be heard. Mm-hmm. They're saying meaningful, they're, they're giving me meaningful thoughts and insights. And even when they think they're wrong, they said, well, no, this might be wrong. I said, I don't care. I want to hear it. And then if it is, like, wrong, I say, you know, that's air quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we tr- I try to sort of ask a lot of questions to say, well, what makes you think that? 
and then if they're you know off I'm like let's take a look at this text um, so for me it's I learn a lot mm -hmm. just hearing what they say because you know sometimes I'm like I have never thought of that and I'm and and I mean that mm -hmm. so for me it's learning for them it's seeing that what they're saying is important in this class um, it's it slows the class down if you're concerned with getting through content brain um, brain studies say they're not you know you're just dumping content they're not remembering that stuff anyway what they remember is what they have an emotional connection to and the only way that well one of the only ways one of the ways that you can get that emotional connection is if they make it and if we acknowledge it so a kid who sees their quote on the board and they see that you know for several days until it gets erased they come into class and to me what it's like wow okay I remember when I said that that is one of if I don't have that I can't teach I hate hearing myself talk all the time and when I when I'm doing it I apologize I'm like I'm so sorry I'm talking so much I do have to get through this material but I'm really really sorry and there's probably a way a better way for me to do it now I might think of it but to be quite honest yeah sometimes I got to get through the content right. but mo but you know what ends up happening in my classes is that I'm very um, I'm, I'm ambitious in what I want to get done mm -hmm. and it frequently doesn't happen okay because we're spending a lot of time learning for example that the Ten Commandments isn't just about okay these ten things and memorize them and spout them off it's about community mm. it's about the establishment of a community and the maintenance of that community that was not established or maintained before the commandments arrived. Okay. So it's about this person, this entity that got us out of this bad situation and is trying to get us into this good situation. Okay, so what do you do when somebody does something nice for you? Mm. Like, how do you respond to that? Well, that's what you see here. Same thing with, you know, let's say you're, you've got a spouse. Okay, you guys aren't married yet, but, you know, think about maybe your parents and think about that relationship. You've got a similar thing going on here. You've got a promise that a person has made, and then you've got commitments that the other, that both parties have. And so, what does that mean for this community? So it's trying to take these things and saying, "Well, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's not just about oh, let's recite the Ten Commandments. It comes out of a context. And so, for them to like deeply understand that context mm -hmm. is important. Okay. I think they remember stuff like that more than just." Going through the material, right. I can't ever do that because then I can't hear the student voice. Right, right. If I'm just trying to get through my content, I'll never hear. It. I'll never hear what it is that they're thinking about and what they're learning. Mm -hmm. So, for you say more? Yeah. Uh -huh. So let's say, let's say you give them a reading of whatever. Mm -hmm. And I hate giving busy work. So I don't, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll provide some guiding questions, mm -hmm. but it's only a few. 
So whether it's I give guiding questions or I just say reflect, what I'll do the next, what a, a really good way to do it, I think, is when you come into the classroom, have them do, have them write out a few sentences, a think, pair, share. Mm-hmm. So have them write a little bit about what their assignment was the night before. You know, have them write about a paragraph or you know, three or four sentences. Mm-hmm. Then get them in pairs to share and then have them share up and then whether that whether you can find an entry point from what they share into what you were going to talk about that's perfect if you still want a lecture go right on ahead but at least you've heard their voice first and you can interject something that somebody has said into Mm. whatever your lesson is and whatever your objectives are I think that is really easy to do for me yeah um, if it, especially, and the only way that it works is if whatever it is that you've assigned ties into whatever you, whatever your objective is for that day. So you should be able to find. To me, mm-hmm. there should be an entry that way, and that you know you can spend five minutes on that, five ten minutes at the most, and still be able to get what you need to get done done. So I feel as though I could talk to you forever and pick your brain on so many different topics, but I do want to be mindful of your time. So I have one more question I would like to ask you as we wrap up today. And that question is simply this. If you had one word to use to describe yourself, what would that word be and why? And I get that same look from everyone who asks. It's like like, one? (laughs) uh, Curious. Mm -hmm. Um, I say that because I... I have students who are so insightful. They really are. And um, I, have a, I have a 14-year-old, so I have, I have a ninth grader. And uh, she doesn't go here. But um, I don't say that apologetically, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I see my students now as a parent of a teenager, mm-hmm. I see my students sometimes, right? And I, I see my daughter, and I know... She's a curious person herself, and I always, I'm always wanting to hear what she has to say because she's, in, she's incredibly insightful. <laughs> but so are these kids. Um, frequently, I think we think that they're just kids, and we're here to impart our knowledge onto them mm. so that they can spout it back. But I know for a fact, you know, we come from different social locations. I come from a different social location than these kids, mm-hmm. and I want to hear what they have to say. So that's why I try to find space for them to say it. And the only way that I can do that is to be curious about who they are and what it is that they're thinking. So I ask questions to find out what it is that they're thinking about and how they're learning. And that's what takes me so long in my classes. So mm-hmm. then I have to like always adjust. And always, you know. um, I'm, sometimes I'm apologetic about that, but a lot of times I'm not. I genuinely want to hear what these kids have to say and what they're thinking about. So I think I would say curious. Okay. Well, Kate, thank you so much for appearing on Inspire to Impact. I appreciate your time and good luck with the rest of the school year. Thank you. You as well. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too.